Hi, welcome back to Unleashed at Work and Home. I'm really excited today that Kim Immel is joining me, and she's going to be talking about her work with the Positive Dog Prison Training Program, which was a place that I got to visit several years ago and see the men working with shelter dogs to make these dogs available, trained and ready for adoption to find new families. So thank you, Kim. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Our theme today, for which you are perfect, is second chances. And what better concept for second chances than a prison dog training program? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's our motto, second, providing a second chance for both ends of the leash. Providing a second chance for both ends of the leash. I love that. So, well, tell me a little bit about how you got started in this. Oh, gosh. It was actually, it was kind of dropped in my lap, so to speak. Um, I was on staff with the, with the shelter that was partnering with this program at the time. And I was on staff, not in the capacity of a dog trainer, but as a licensed vet tech in their spay-neuter clinic. And there was one Thursday morning in July that we were at our staff meeting, and our executive director at the time said that, you know what, we're going to be partnering with Airway Heights Correction Center to start up a dog training program. And... At that moment, I was trying to figure out how I can sneak out of the room and run away uh, because I was the only professional dog trainer in the room. (laughs) Needless to say, I tried to avoid it. Um, She looked at me and said, we'll talk later. And I spent several days avoiding her. Um, I would see her and I would just take off and go into somebody else's office and hide. Um, But eventually she cornered me and said, hey, this is yours. Let's run with it. Reluctantly, I started it. I had... I had been teaching grid classes for quite some time with Diamonds in the Rough and was comfortable teaching grid classes. So that aspect didn't bother me one bit, but I had never actually developed a full program, never actually wrote curriculum, um, created an outline, any of that. So I quickly, like before I finished talking with the executive director, I was on the phone with Carol Burns <laughs> saying, I need, I need you to review my stuff. Um, so she agreed to come on as an advisory role to help me get this going. We worked on some stuff and went and toured the facility where the dogs would be living uh, a couple months later. Uh, and at that point, she said, I'm in. Um, I don't want to be just an advisor. And about six months after that, we took our first dogs in. And remind me again when that was? Yeah, that was, um, we started working on the program the end of July 2011 and our first dogs actually went in um, end of April 2012 and anyone who's ever worked with DOC or government knows that that's actually fairly quickly yeah yeah sad to say but very true (laughs) six months six months from the get from the go-ahead is pretty pretty good time frame awesome so typically how long does a dog stay in your program they are there for a total of 11 weeks. So with the second chances concept, I have to admit, so at ABDT, and I, and I don't actually remember which year it was that we were that we visited um, your program. Do you remember? 13. It might have I been. Think, I think that's when it was here in Spokane. Okay. So um, APDT, for those of you who don't know, is the Association of Pet Dog Trainers, and it was in Spokane, and they said, if you'd like, you can also go visit the prison dog program. And I will admit that I was kind of a skeptic, because there was a part of me that thought, I don't know if this is right for the dogs. I don't know if this is a good environment. I don't know if I think this is fair. And so I went. 
and I was blown away by the testimonies from the people who were involved from every level. The men in the program, the trainers who worked so hard with their dogs, to the teachers who were working with them, to the guards who were telling us how awesome the dogs were. And I sobbed for two hours, literally just cried the whole time. It was really an amazing experience. So I'd like you to, to maybe tell us a little bit about some of the changes you've seen in, in either people or dogs. Well, actually, let's start with the dog one, and then we'll do a people one in a minute. But tell me about a dog, because obviously you're taking pretty good dogs in, because they need to be dogs you expect to be placeable in 11 weeks, but a dog who, who really uh, deserved a second chance and got it through the program. Yeah, and, and the dogs that we take in um, think you're out of control, wild, crazy, adolescent dogs. The ones that families just say, forget it, we can't take it, and they take them to the shelter. Those are the ones who keep coming back, and they keep coming back to the shelter. So those are the kiddos that we, we try and take in because we don't want them coming back to the shelter again. We want them to be able to go into that home and be successful in that home. We've worked with some that are shy and worried, um, and one of the ones that... Um, really there are a couple that stick in my mind and one was a dog named Lucy and Lucy was oh gosh a little herding breed Um, she was so skinny when we first took her in Um, she almost looked like an Ibizan hound she was so skinny and she was afraid of everything she couldn't do the stairs she couldn't walk across the concrete floor a door closed she was worried she wasn't overly concerned about the sound so because we we review for that before we take the dogs in Mm mm-hmm Um, but her handler did everything he possibly could to help her, um, to the point that he would lay down on the floor so that she could be right next to him, and he would crawl along the floor so she could have constant contact with him, (laughs) point A to point B. (laughs) Yeah. This was a dog who probably, in full body weight, was about 50 pounds, and he was carrying her up and down the stairs until she was ready to actually walk up and down the stairs herself. And it was... Her getting this chance to go in and work with somebody who's willing to put that extra effort into it, mm-hmm. she blossomed. There was another dog at the same time who was a fairly confident, rambunctious dog, but very, very good with the other dogs. And we ended up, the handlers actually ended up identifying that Cassie, the other dog, would be a very good teaching dog for Lucy. And so they worked together in training sessions side by side and to get, help build the confidence in Lucy, not only through her work with the handlers, but also being able to see Cassie do her work. How cool. Yeah. yeah. It's really empowering on, on so many levels. Um, yes. That, you know, that helping Lucy, meeting her where she was, I think is, is the key, you know? Yep. Like, she can't do the stairs. She is afraid. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to lie on the floor and move with her so she can become more comfortable in an environment that's yeah. um, really generous and kind and, and accepting. And that's what we see with the handlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than anything, we see that time and time and time again. So tell me, tell me a little bit about some of, the, some of the handlers. Oh, gosh. Wow. We have seen Lucy's handler. for. Um, he's no longer with us. He's moved on to another facility and um, kind of heading up getting involved with their, their dog program. But... He was one that he came in, and his reason for being in prison was burglary, robbery, um, and assault, severe assault. 
um, nearly killing a person. Um, and I, I say that because he has openly said that in interviews and whatnot. Um, and he was one that was constantly getting in fights. He was always back-talking and causing problems for all the officers. He was one going to um, segregation a lot. Um, and he got into the program. Nobody believed that he would succeed, that he would be good for the program. And with him, we saw a 180 shift. He completely changed directions. He ended up, he was one of the kindest, most generous um, souls that you've ever met. He is somebody that on the outside, I would work with him in a heartbeat. Um, had amazing skill. And he had a real connection with our shy dogs. He could, he was, you know, helped Lucy. And he, he was one that any dog who was shy or worried, he had this amazing nurturing as well as just technical skill. Um, he, we got reports time and time again from staff saying, I cannot believe that is the same person. The reason that he went to another, he actually left our program before he moved to another facility because he started thinking about, he's going to be getting out mm-hmm. and he needs to plan for getting out. So he took a different job within the facility so he can earn a little bit more money to start saving more. Cause he, and he told me um, face to face, he said, you know, if I don't, if I get out and I don't have a little bit set aside, I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. He says, and I don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. And so I congratulated him for leaving the program at that point once I knew why he was leaving. Right. Uh, he ended up moving to a different facility because they offered a different vocational training that he knew he was going to be able to then build a skill that was going to be able to provide for him once he got out. So when when I visited, there was a man who had sort of a similar story where he said he was a fighter, always getting into stuff, and that he knew that if he got into a fight, he was out of the program. And so he was really changing his behavior in the way he interacted with people in the prison um, because it was so valuable to him to be a member of the program. Yes. How many people join your program and are unable to complete? Are they are most of them able to to do what needs to be done to, to participate? Great question. We do actually have a high turnover. Um, some of the turnovers, because some of the men are leaving, they're going home, but we do have um, somewhat of a high turnover because we do get several who come in who think that it is all about just playing with the dogs. Mm-hmm. And they don't realize that when they join the program that it's so much more because we... We work on book knowledge and really understanding behavior, not just the mechanics of training a dog, but understanding the behavior behind it and why we do the things that we do, the way that we do them. And those people who have come in and left didn't realize how much work there was mm-hmm. and so they move on. And we often hear from other handlers who are in the program who know them within their living units, these gentlemen who who leave early, they say, you know, he can't stick to anything or that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So but your expectations were pretty high as at least yeah. back then um, you were having them read books that I think most dog trainers should read, yes. but I wasn't expecting that for a volunteer program. You know, like this is your 
fun fun thing you do in prison. I guess that's the wrong phrase, but that's sort of what I was thinking. Was like, you know, uh-huh. you show up and help train some dogs, but you don't have to read, you know, Culture Clash or some of the books that yeah. are theory. And and they were reading them, and one of one of the people mentioned that he didn't read well in English, and so someone else was reading to him, and then they were discussing that what the content was, and I was. I'm just really blown away. I just the level of commitment to the learning. You've put a pretty high bar there. <laughs> I think part of the reason why we did that one that's just that's a lot of who Carol and I are. And so if we're going to be involved with the program, we're going to we're going to go by the same standards that we would out in the real world mm-hmm. that we would with colleagues. And these are gentlemen who are not teaching their own dogs to do things. So that's where it's different than teaching a standard group class out out in the real world. They are being hired to teach dogs who are then going to go to somebody else's home. So if they are doing that, they need to raise, we need to raise the bar a little bit. Mm -hmm. We both also, uh, after we toured the facility that first time, we went to lunch afterwards and we both looked at each other almost at the same time and said, this program has nothing to do with dog training. Yeah. This program is about changing the way these men think and do. And in the process, a few dogs are going to get trained. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. Oh, yeah. Okay. So what made you realize that it was so much bigger than dog training in that initial conversation? Yeah. I think for me, I think it was going in and actually seeing a prison on the inside. Mm-hmm. Because up to this point, I had had family members who were in law enforcement. So, you know, you heard about arrests and, you know, you knew about trials in prison and you had your police dramas on TV. And of course, I watched Shawshank Redemption. And so that was my only experience with prison. Mm-hmm. But actually walking in, and seeing this and seeing real living, breathing people looking at um, when we went into living units, seeing artwork up in the walls that they had done mm-hmm. and saying, oh, my God, there's amazing talent in this place. Beautiful artwork that some of the men have done. There are some gardens that are at this facility and knowing that they are all cared for by the offenders who live there. And... All of a sudden, just making that connection. These are real people. These are people that are going to be getting out. These men might be my neighbors someday. And also, just that realization of what does it take for a person to have to make that choice, or for a person to make the choice to do the things that they did to end up where they're at. Mm-hmm. Something is in there that told them that they weren't good enough, that they weren't worth it, that they weren't um, that this was the only way. And we know it's not the only way that if, if some, you know, if you have determination enough, if you have enough of a commitment, you can do pretty much anything you can set your mind to. And so I think it was just like this snowball thing that starting thinking about this and everything just started going and realizing this was a lot bigger than we ever imagined it would be. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just some of the part of it was just that gut feeling that, there's no explanation behind it other than you just knew, you just knew this was going to be bigger than dog training and it needed to be, it needed to be. Yeah. And it is. I mean, when we really start looking at behavior, like you said before, that the ripples go beyond just the interaction with the dog, 
you know, yes. that the one man, the people who lived with him and the, and the guards were saying he's different. It's not just that he's restraining himself from fighting. He's actually different because mm-hmm. he got an opportunity to learn about change and to practice it and to, to evolve. I mean, because we can't just flip it like a switch and go, look, I'm magically different now. It's baby steps. <laughs> yep. And a lot of motivation. A lot of motivation and, and knowing that it's not always going to be steps forward. Mm-hmm. But there's steps back. Being okay with that realizing it, being accountable to it, and then progressing forward from there. Yeah. So, yeah, and and we were just, you know, we were confirmed in our thought by the guys, um, because one of the first books that they all have to read and study, um, because they have to take a certain test, be, they have to take a test before they actually get a dog, so we know that they kind of understand a little bit about um, what they're going to be doing before we just hand them a living being. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the book is, you know, Don't Shoot the Dog by Karen Pryor. Yeah. And so that's mandatory reading for all of them. And we had several of our handlers come back and say, if my parents would have done what we were doing in this book, I don't think I would have been here today. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had several who have looked at that as a new way of uh, parenting, of working with their kids when they get out. There was a man who said that when we went. He said, if... if if my father had known these techniques, I wouldn't be here today. And this is totally changing how I'm interacting with my son. And I was already sobbing. So there was just more sobbing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I thought that's really, that's yeah. really powerful. And it's so true. Because mm-hmm. I think as people, we're sort of hardwired for the negativity. And that leads to suppression. I don't like that yeah. behavior. So let me tamp it down. And those techniques are not the right ones. They're not the right ones for dog training and they're not the right ones for raising children. Yep. And they're not the right ones for interacting with the people in your life, you know, even if they're not children. Yep. So learning new skills is tough, but we have to be open to to giving someone a second chance. And and as I said earlier, I was a little uncomfortable when I went to, there was this judgy part of me. I mean, to be honest, just a little bit of like, well, you had your chance and you messed up and now is it safe for these dogs to be here? And a story that um, Carol told me, and again, it's a few years ago, so I hope I'm getting this right, but um, at dinner afterwards, uh, when I'm telling her I'm blown away I was, she said there had been an incident with a fight in the yard and that afterwards they the initial report was that there were no dogs in the yard. and But then when they went back and reviewed the video... There had been three dogs in the yard, and each man had scooped up his dog. They were all relatively small in the, in the group I saw, and covered him with his vest and then put the dog up to a wall and put his body to protect the dog. Yes. And I thought, oh, okay. I mean, this is putting someone else's needs first, recognizing what they need. Gosh, it's going to make me teary five years later. Um, <laughs> but it's that's a real growth moment for someone who... You know, what did you say? Burglary, robbery, and assault for someone who might have a history like that to to go, oh, no, things are going bad. What should I do? I should protect this one right near me. That's someone worthy of a second chance. And that gentleman, he was actually one of the guys out in that yard protecting his dog. Was he? Yeah. He threw himself on his dog to protect her, to keep her safe from the fight that was going on and to keep her safe from what needed to happen to break up the fight that yeah. was going on. Yeah, that 
that was really awesome. I think we talk a good game about giving people second chances, but just like I was in that moment, we're not always ready for us to be the one giving that chance. You know, <laughs> a little bit of like, well, somebody should do that, <laughs> but yeah. uh, not me. So it's um, it's awesome that you're doing this, first off, but that these men are really taking advantage of this chance, which means that they will then be people who probably give others second chances too. And then their children will be people who give others second chances. This is the way we can start making changes. Absolutely. And that's, and that is our hope with this. And my hope has always been no matter how long I'm involved with this program, if just one man gets out and changes his life and changes the life for his children and he is the cycle breaker. All of the stress, all of the struggles, all of the sleepless nights are worth it. Yeah. So they're totally worth it. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's amazing to watch these guys grow and develop and learn to work with one another. And when they're struggling to come to Carol and I on, you know, class day and say, I've tried, maybe you can tell them. But I've tried to and <laughs> but to make that choice to not possibly fight or get mm-hmm. you know, in their face about it, but to to make that choice to walk away and hand it off to somebody else—that's a huge decision on their part too. That's a huge choice on their part. Yeah, it allows Carol and I to to work with them and, and the staff who are involved with this program to work with that particular offender to say, well. What if we rephrased it this way and try working with some reframing? And if it doesn't work necessarily in that situation, we see that then he that particular handler has now a new tool in his tool mm-hmm. belt, and he tries it the next time he comes up with a similar situation. So it's just it's just amazing to watch these guys grow. Yeah, yeah. and reframing is is a really powerful tool in terms of mindset and the way you look at things. And it sounds, I think, really simplistic. You know, the first time someone says, well, what if you look at it this way? You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But (laughs) if you can sort of stop and think about what is another way I could look at this situation or another way I can approach it, it's like the main tool. It's a really strong, powerful way of changing things. It is. And And one of the things that I always go back to with the guys is, um, just at the basic of, of it is this prison, the prison can be who they are or can simply be their address. Mm-hmm. It's how they think about things. It's how they look at it and not to, just because this is where you're at, at this moment in time, that doesn't mean where you're going to be. Mm-hmm. You have a choice. Yeah, you, you're here for now. Okay, fine. Deal with it. But you don't have to be here forever. So... You don't have to come back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. So before we started recording, you, you started telling me a little bit about one particular family, and I'd love if you could share this with the listeners, about a father and son who had had sort of fractured relationship. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, one of our handlers, he was, um, he was this great handler, tough guy, but he talked about... After being in the program for a little bit, he was he was one of the several who had commented about the "Don't Shoot the Dog" book. Had my had my parents done this, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be wearing that today. 
Um, we've had that said by many, many of our handlers. But he was realizing how, like you say, fractured his relationship was. Um, the day that he was arrested to um, and ended up in the prison, his son was there, and his son witnessed the, the, the arrest. Um, at the same time that he was taken away from home, the family dog was taken from home. And so this boy lost his dad and his dog, and basically was, from my understanding, from him telling the story, was that you know his son hadn't forgiven him over it, and they basically didn't have a relationship. It was completely broken, and he had a broken relationship with um, other family members. Once he started going through the program and started reading and working with the dogs and seeing how his actions can help with that dog, he was able to start talking with his son because not only was he learning these skills, but now there was this common thing between the two of them, and that was the dog. Mm -hmm. So for visiting, he would go and he would talk about what they were doing in class and how he was training his dog and what the dog was learning. And so all the conversations initially evolved around the dog. But through that, he ended up rebuilding his relationship with his son and um, started talking about more than just the dog. Yeah. And talking about life stuff. Um, he also, this handler also had his uh, fiance buy a copy of the Don't Shoot the Dog book so that he can leave it in the visiting center. So other families can then see that book while they were there and read it if they wanted to. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. He was very much uh, supportive of that. But it was just, it was through working with the dogs and learning what he was learning um, that he was able to repair this and have a different way of of parenting when he got out and mm -hmm. he's been out now he's been out for um i think a couple a good couple years and my understanding is doing quite well it's nice that you get some sort of update at times on some people because i imagine you often don't is that true that that's true um we actually can't as volunteers um we cannot have contact with the people who've been in the program for a year um after they they leave so when they release um, we just had a, a gentleman release uh, about a month or so ago, and we can't have any contact with him for a year. And so after that year is up, then they can contact us if they so choose. We have had um, contact. The gentleman that we just spoke about um, is following the Facebook page and has made comments on the Facebook page. Um, so that's often how they start to reach out. Mm -hmm. um, we have another handler who released and about a year after he released contacted Carol through um, the diamonds in the rough email address because he was now working as a dog trainer was he yep. and working a dog trainer and he had a case that he was struggling with and so he was contacting her for some advice on how to handle how to handle that issue so yeah that's great yeah but no it's just it's we've seen that time and time again talk about family members that they have lost contact with or don't speak to that all of a sudden the family members start following the Facebook page and then conversations start between the family members and the handler and mm -hmm. start building and it's all it's all through the dogs and the the men in the prison can't see the Facebook page but you share some of that information with them right yeah and what they do um, oftentimes their family share it um, so when they contact when families call or they come for visiting they'll share things um, we are able to take when adoptive families have shared pictures with us of the dogs in their new homes and how things are going. We are able to take a portion of that information back with us 
and share. So we can share pictures of the dogs in their new environments as long as there's no identifying right. information in that picture or humans within that picture. Yeah. Well, I bet they love seeing a photo of the dog, you know, laying in the grass in his new house or whatever. Yes. Yes. Because they become very, very attached to these dogs and they are, they're concerned about them for the rest of the dog's life. They want to make sure that the dogs are okay mm-hmm. and doing well and things are going, going well. Um, we get questions all the time. Have you heard about so-and-so? Has, you know, how is so-and-so doing? And they're always thinking about them. Yeah. Yeah. So how many dogs do you currently have in the program? Right now, we are kind of in between. We have gone through some administrative changes. Mm -hmm. Um, The original shelter who was partnering with this program, who I was originally employed by, they have gone through some structural changes, and one of the changes was to no longer participate in the program, which meant the program is still going to go on, and it is still going on. It it was just getting another shelter partner to be a part of it because we have to have a partnership um, with DOC between the shelter. And again, we're dealing with DOC and government, so things take a little while. But I think everything is finally lined up, and hopefully we'll be bringing in some dogs very soon. We have actually been without dogs for about five and a half months. Oh, wow. Everybody's probably itchy by now. Oh, my gosh, yes. Everybody's itchy. Um, The guys have a hard time going two weeks between sessions. Yeah. When we take our little break. Um, So it has been really hard on the guys. But I have to give them a ton of credit for hanging in there. There are still classes going on, so doing book work and lectures and watching videos, training videos. And we just had um, Dr. Letitia Panucci come up from WSU. Um, she um, heads up the behavior department down mm-hmm. at WSU to talk to the guys uh, about anxiety and how dogs learn. So they were able to listen to uh, a veterinarian, the mm-hmm. veterinarian side. And yeah, so we've been able to, to still do a lot of work, uh, but we haven't had any dogs yet. So everybody's not, even the, even the staff. Yeah. The staff. Oh yeah. I'm sure everybody. <laughs> yeah. They're like, Hey, any word yet? Any word yet? <laughs> <laughs> so if we're looking at just people in their regular life, what kind of suggestions would you have for um, increasing our willingness to, to give second chances to others? Honestly, the first thing that comes to my mind is put everything that you've ever thought that you're ever certain about, just set it aside. Mm-hmm. Because I think what happens is when we go in and we're certain about something, that closes a door. Walking in and seeing, you know, a gentleman who's bald, who's six foot four, covered head to toe in tattoos, who stands in a certain way with his hips cocked and his, you know, and it just has that quote unquote that look. Yeah, you can immediately go, oh, no, this is not a good person. Mm-hmm. But you see that dog with a teeny tiny chihuahua in his arms? Yeah. Oh, yeah, watch him turn into a puddle. Um, <laughs> you realize, yeah, it's real fun. Um, and you realize that what you thought is not what's actually true. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we just, one of the things is I think we really need to set aside all of our preconceived notions. That if we haven't experienced it and we have an opinion about it, um, chances are it's based on somebody else's thoughts mm-hmm. and we need to make those thoughts our own. We need to, to, to assess it for ourselves. I think that's really true. That actually came up, that exact concept came up in a Facebook discussion today. I have a separate podcast, Your Family Dog, and 
uh, Dr. Risa Van Fleet was on there talking about how to handle difficult conversations. And one of the things was when we're so certain, you know, we're creating a a barrier and a distance. And so sometimes to just try to understand where the other person's coming from and let go of some of our certainty and be open in that moment to what kind of connections can we have. So it's an interesting, you know, just an hour ago, somebody said, wow, that really kind of blew my mind. Now I'm thinking, I have to go put a link here so that person (laughs) (laughs) can listen to this one too. Oh, too funny. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. It is hard to do. I mean, well, I mean, I think everything falls into that category, doesn't it? Where it's like simple, but not easy, you know, like, oh, reframing. Totally simple concept. Not always easy to do. Set aside your certainty. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Parent differently, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah, I've been doing it this way for X number of years. I'm just going to change the way I parent. Um, but it's worth doing and mm-hmm. it's worth making the efforts. So providing those second chances for others is a real valuable thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, we're all going to need a second chance at some point in our life. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been really interesting, a very fun conversation. Um, one question I do like to ask most of my guests okay. is, um, if your dog could speak English, and I know you have two, Gibson and Wrigley. <laughs> so if Gibson and Wrigley could speak English, how would they describe you? Oh, gosh. This is where I'm so glad that dogs cannot speak English. <laughs> um, I would say probably Gibson would complain that I was one boring and two not home enough to be with him to keep my hands on him at all time um, <laughs> he's a German shepherd mix and he um, he loves being right next to me and he's a goober and Wrigley how would he describe me uh, not as uh, forthcoming with his treats as he would like <laughs> yes he is my food hound yeah. I see yeah. <laughs> more treats mom Okay. Well, now you at least know where you can improve. They're they're yeah. probably willing to give you a second chance to be less boring and more generous. <laughs> yeah. And I would totally love to be home way more than I am. So, <laughs> so, uh, so how could listeners learn more about your program? The best way right now always is to uh, find us on Facebook and it's The Positive Dog and it's P-A-W. Um, so the Positive Dog Prison Training Program, we are on Facebook. Our little uh, profile picture is a little pen and ink drawing of um, a black lab. And it's Airway Heights Correction Center is the, is the prison that we are partnered with. That's going to be the best way to find us and to be in contact because you can message us through that uh, link and th- also get caught up on what we've done up to this point uh, with looking at pictures. You can also touch base, they can also touch base with uh, Carol Burns through the Diamonds in the Rough website, and it's Diamonds in the Rough, it's R-U-F-F dot com, and pop an email off to her from there as well. Super, and I'll put links to both of those in the show notes so that everyone can get right to those. Um, This has been a really interesting conversation today, Kim. I'm so glad you could come on. Oh, it was fun. It was fun. Thank you for the invite. I really appreciate it. I was I was really excited to talk to you because I was 
truly blown away by the program that you and Carol created there. It was awesome. So I think the whole concept of second chances and the fact that we all need them can hopefully make us a little bit more generous in offering them to others and really looking at how we can change our behavior. And bit by bit, we're all going to get there. Baby steps. Yeah, baby steps. It's always, always baby steps. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, I hope that you will tune in and subscribe. Please, please, please leave a review because reviews are how other people find the show. That makes a big difference. And definitely share it with your friends. So anyone who you know who might enjoy conversations about how to help animal care professionals feel better every day, we would love to have them at Unleashed at Work and Home.